Hey guys, Jason here with Spectrum Labs. I had an amazing conversation with Rod Kite. He's a, an attorney based out of Asheville, North Carolina. We talked about a whole bunch of things that I think you'll get a really good value out of. We start off with Rod's personal journey into cannabis, how, how he got into the industry, talk about the proposed regulations by the USDA and by the government. Uh, we, he shares some insights into some deals that have gone sour and some really basic and simple things that you can do to prevent these issues from coming up. And we talk about THC testing, uh, some uh, suggestions that Ron has about how that can be better, and just some really good insights and tools that you can use if you're considering getting into the hemp space or if you're already in the hemp and cannabis space and want to have, create a better business. So. Uh, please watch or listen and enjoy. And here is Rod Kite. Rod, thank you so much for joining us on the hemp uh, startup journey. Uh, you're a busy man nowadays. Uh, you just got uh, recently uh, an award for best law firm in the United States. You were part of that list. Yeah, it's nice to be part of that list. Uh, U.S. News and, and best law firms or best lawyers is a is a, a group at, as well. So happy to be part of that list. Yeah. Uh, and I know I, I see you traveling the world, it seems like, you know, just speaking at different panels and uh, you're highly sought after, which is really cool, uh, especially having you in our backyard. Uh, yeah. But then I think also just all the just uh, the, the value that you add to the uh, hemp and the cannabis community. So Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate yeah. that. And and, you know, it's nice to have you in the backyard. Asheville is a great place. And uh, even though it's a it's a prohibition state with respect to marijuana, Asheville itself is very progressive. And mm -hmm. with respect to hemp, it certainly is one of the epicenters in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Which hopefully we can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so just uh, taking us to, to the beginning, wherever you want to start, um, I'm always interested in how people got into the cannabis space. Uh, and I, I just read recently your um, Why I Am a Cannabis Lawyer right. article. So wherever you want to start, how did you get into this space? Yeah, sure. So I have um, I have smoked um, cannabis since college. Actually, I didn't in high school, um, which in retrospect is... I don't, I don't know why, but um, I, I did in college and always thought that it should be legal on civil liberties, mm -hmm. uh, civil liberties grounds for sure. But I never gave much thought to it as a, as a career or, or anything else. Uh, I had cancer about 10 years ago, testicular cancer. And um, even though I had heard about the use of marijuana as a, you know, an aid to different types of ailments, including you know, chemotherapy and, and its effects, I didn't really think to try it. In fact, I thought, well, that'd be a cheap excuse to get high. This is serious. You know, I'm going to take this seriously. But about maybe a third of the way into chemotherapy, um, my brother came up to visit me. I had different family members from my hometown of Augusta, Georgia, coming up to, to help out. My wife, Ashley, came up. We were dating at the time. Uh, but my brother was up, and he checked on me and then went downstairs and lit up a bowl and started smoking some pot and, and listening to music. And I had been in bed all day feeling really bad. And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. So I went downstairs and, you know, took a hit of, of the off of his bowl, not really expecting anything. It was more just something to do. And, 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 and I felt remarkably better. I mean, it was stunning, really, the effect that I felt. And at that point, I, I realized that medical marijuana was actually a thing. It wasn't just a Trojan horse for legalization. And again, to be clear, I believed in um, you know, full cannabis legalization, but I realized that the medical piece was, was not only important, but really was the most important thing. And at that point, I decided that I needed to become involved in some way professionally. I'm not a criminal defense lawyer. I haven't done that in almost 20 years. And with cannabis being legalized, I felt like that was, you know, fortunately, some an area of law that is slowly going away. Uh, I'm a business lawyer, and I, I figured I wanted to get involved in the business of cannabis. 
Uh, I live in a prohibition state, and that was a little bit tricky. I got licensed in Oregon, uh, thinking I would just sort of figure it out. And, and after getting licensed, I started reaching around to try to find some materials that would help me to understand the law. You know, if, if when a lawyer goes into an area, whether it be workers' compensation or tax or criminal defense or securities, there are horn books and, and, and lots of legal reference guides that you can uh, use to learn the subject matter. And there was not a legal reference guide for cannabis law. Uh, to my knowledge, there still isn't. And so as part of my learning process, I actually wrote a book called um, a Cannabis Business Law, What You Need to Know. And what I did is I pulled from all the different sources that I could find, uh, whether it be local cases in various jurisdictions to uh, blog articles I thought were good, news articles, so on and so forth, and created a book that was designed to sort of provide the lay of the land for people entering the cannabis industry and for other lawyers like myself who, who were kind of looking for the parameters of what it meant to be a cannabis lawyer. And that um, started the journey. But um, I guess to sort of wrap up this little segment about how I got started, uh, the way things really took off for us is I started blogging um, back in 2014, 2015, and it was right around the time that the 2014 Farm Bill came out, which is many people probably uh, remember legalized uh, industrial hemp when it was in the context of a state pilot program. And that was the beginning of the CBD journey. And I had people calling me, asking me about the legal status of CBD. And frankly, at the time, I didn't know. I thought, well, I'll, again, I'll, I'll go check it out. And I could not find anything of any value on the Internet or talking to folks. And so I dug in and uh, created a theory, the source rule, which just says that CBD is legal or not based on its source, and started writing and blogging about it. People responded and started reaching out, and um, the, the journey really took off there. I got a lot of great clients, and those clients were on the cutting edge, almost daily dealing with issues that were new and novel, and I helped them to navigate it, and that helped you know educate them, educated me, and, and um We've been going from there. Yeah. And so that was when you first got into it, that you were living here in Asheville? Living here in Asheville, yes. Okay. I've been in Asheville for about 20 years now. Okay. So you mentioned we're in a prohibition state in North Carolina. Right. What do you think Asheville seems to be, almost like the, the Silicon Valley of hemp right. <laughs> at, this <laughs> point, at this moment? Like, any insight into that? You know, that's a great question. I think that Asheville has been known for for most of its history as a progressive place, despite the fact that it's small and it's nestled in the mountains of western North Carolina. It's been a place where, um, since at least the turn of the century, the tycoons of industry would come to vacation and to, mm -hmm. you know, we've got the, the Grove Park Inn, we've got the, the Biltmore House, which is built by Vanderbilt, you know, we, and so it's always been a place that's drawn um, people from all over the, the country and even the world. And I think that brings with it a certain amount of uh, different perspective, different perspectives on things. Um, but who knows? I, I just know that Asheville is really a, a progressive place and it's a very um, cannabis friendly city for sure. Yeah. I think if you were to, to take a poll of people in the city limits of Asheville as to whether or not, you know, marijuana should be legal, legalized, it would probably pass like with a super majority, oh, absolutely. You know? um, whereas the rest of North Carolina is not quite there. I mean, just right outside of Asheville, right? Like, so we have a, a retail store where uh, we, we're getting back up and running for, and we're going to focus on hemp products. Right. Uh, every once in a while, we have someone that comes in and you're just sort of walking around the area. And uh, somebody just came in recently and like, oh, what do you guys do here? And we said, oh, we do hemp, CBD, that kind of thing. Right. She literally just went like this, like, oh, God, no. <laughs> I got a physical reaction. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> she just ran out the door, it seemed like. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's a beautiful place and just really interesting with all the different uh, personalities that are 
are so um, such advocates for this product. Oh yeah, there are a lot of advocates and a lot of different types of advocates. You know, and, and I think from we're we're in downtown Asheville in my office right now, and I think if 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 I could kind of throw a rock from here, we could hit five different, you know, stores or, right. or businesses involved in, in hemp, if not twice that many, and all of them have a different take on things. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got people who are focused very much on health and wellness. Some are more on the sort of hippie side of things. Some are very contemporary and, 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 and focused on, on, you know, sleek branding and so on and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of different perspectives in yeah. the industry. So if we can change gears for a second. So my business, we're uh, in the extraction business. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we source or we purchase hemp for a cultivator uh we're, we're trying to, to so far we have just kept all of our purchases to north carolina just trying to keep that you know the right. local economy going um but um we've certainly heard of a, a bunch of horror stories in that transaction world uh, oh, between yeah. you know cultivators <laughs> and extractors and to retailers or, or someone else do you have any any stories there and then maybe just uh some sort of lesson that people should be mindful of, like, here's how to do better or how to avoid these situations. Sure. You know, interestingly, this issue about having bad uh, transactions in the hemp and uh, CBD industry really um, is, can be remedied pretty simply uh, by, you know, all parties adhering to sort of normal business practices. And so uh, rather than, than one story, you know, what, what I see is people taking this business so casually and often doing you know, very big deals, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars by text message. They sometimes don't even know the last name of the person (laughs) they're dealing with. You know, they don't do their typical vetting if someone sends them a a COA, a certificate of analysis, Mm -hmm. setting forth the cannabinoid and terpene ratios and percentages in a particular plant. They, They don't look at it closely to see if it's been, you know, altered in any way, which unfortunately is a big problem we're seeing. Uh, And so what I recommend to people is, is pretend like you're engaging in some other normal, you know, business transaction, whether you'd be, you know, buying a car, buying a house, buying some equipment, uh, you know, go and meet the person or at least talk to them on the phone and, and get all of their, their, their information, uh, any documents you receive, vet them. And then the key and crucial pieces to have a good contract. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a lawyer no, sure. <laughs> and it serves my interest, but truly, you know, I've had clients that come to me and they've been defrauded, uh, or at least gotten something that they didn't think that they had bargained for. And they say, well, well, what can we do? And a lot of times the answer is not a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, and whereas if we had a contract that specified all the details and the terms, it's often pretty easy to, you know, to say that, you know, you have all of these available options. Right. Do you think that the, cause right now this, this industry is, is really a free market, right? I mean, people are right. coming and going just you know, on a daily basis by the, it seems like the hundreds. Um, and with what you just said, it, it, does that make it a benefit? Because people are coming in so quickly, that they're sort of foregoing all of the agreements and contracts of a maybe a more established business industry. Like, yeah. th- does that in some way help the hemp industry because things are moving quickly and just, you know, you iterate and, and kind of things happen right. um, rapidly. Yeah. Well, I think we're definitely in a period of rapid innovation mm-hmm. and that's exciting. And, and I, there's this sense that you don't want to be left behind right. and, and it's, it permeates every, every sector. You know, I think that it's a joke among um, lawyers in, in the hemp industry that will say, you know, all of our clients need that contract yesterday. Every one of them, you know, every single contract is urgent, urgent, urgent. Can you do it this afternoon? Can you, and whereas in, you know, it's normal in business for everything to move quickly, but there's usually a pace associated with it. And so, um, you know, I think it's normal and natural that in this growth period and innovation period that people would feel 
the need to to stay on top of things. And mm-hmm. sometimes, though, that means that people f- do forego these normal, you know, types of types of um, activities and um, and vetting and so on and so forth that they would do if it was any other type of industry. And yeah. I think that the industry, you know, sometimes it's good to to take a step back, take a breath, and say, you know. Do I really need to forego a contract in order to get this deal done today? Or can we wait two days while we hammer out the terms? Mm-hmm. And usually it's the latter. You can't yeah. wait those two days. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes slower is faster, right? Because you yeah, don't well, have that's, to. Well, <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. Um, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, so, all right, let's switch gears again. So um, the USDA, uh, you guys wrote a, a few articles about this. It right. uh, just came out. Uh, was last t- Tuesday or, or uh, the yeah, past well, few days? Yeah, I think as I actually published one this morning, too, we've written okay. as of now five articles five. or so. Yeah, okay. just because it's a, it's a lot of, it's 161 pages, so yeah. a lot to digest. Quite a bit. So everybody's talking about it. Uh, there's some folks that are just not reading the whole thing and freaking out. <laughs> right, right. So uh, from a high level, like, can you give us your, your initial thoughts on what the USDA is saying right now? Yeah. Well, I think that one good thing I can say, and unfortunately there are a lot of bad things I can say, but one good thing I can say is that this industry needs some some regulation mm-hmm. uh, for sure. I don't think that anyone really disagrees with that. Of course, a lot of people disagree on what that regulation should be yes. and how far it should go and, and so on and so forth. And so I think the fact that the USDA um, put together a, a pretty comprehensive set of regulations uh, in a relatively short amount of time, at least for a federal agency with such a, a broad um, you know, project and big, deep project. Uh, I think it's good. Uh, but from a high level, there are a, a few things that I think are really important that people need to know. Uh, the two biggest issues that I see uh, have to do with testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one has to do with testing uh, for whether a, a, a cultivation uh, or or a hemp product is lawful. And the big issue is that the USDA has adopted the total THC standard. And we can talk about that if you want to and get into it. Um, But the other issue has to do with the testing facilities themselves. Uh, As you're probably aware, and a lot of your listeners and viewers are aware, there's already a backlog with you know, hemp that's trying to get tested. There are just not a num- uh, an, uh, enough analytical testing labs in the country to to test the hemp that's coming out. And hemp production is rapidly increasing, and I don't see the rise of analytical testing laboratories keeping up with that mm-hmm. rise. Well, the USDA has said that now analytical testing labs have to have a DEA uh, license to deal with Schedule One drugs, and most don't have that license. And mm-hmm. so we're actually removing... Um, analytical labs from the equation and then also burdening them with this additional piece that they have to do. And I can talk yeah. about that as well. But those are, are two of the, of the biggest problems I see with, with the, the plan. And then I'll, I'll wrap up um, this little piece by saying one other benefit that I see, and the USDA has said this over and over again, but that the, the regulations do expressly state that a, that a state or, or tribe cannot interfere with lawful hemp transport mm-hmm. through uh, its jurisdiction. And that has been uh, an issue this whole year, and I'm, I'm right. glad to see it as part of a regulation. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the testing. So sure. I know you, you don't exactly believe in, in the proposal. Uh, so uh, can you explain what they're proposing and what would be a better option? Yeah, sure. So 
the the USDA plan, to be very clear, regulates production of hemp, and it even defines production uh, to essentially mean growing or cultivating hemp. Mm-hmm. And it prescribes testing methods that either apply when someone is, is licensed by the USDA or that must apply in a state that opts to regulate its own production. And the, the not to get off on a tangent, but the regulations specifically authorize a state to implement its own regulations governing hemp production, uh, but only if they submit a plan that's approved by the USDA. So in either circumstance, uh, the USDA has prescribed testing protocols for pre-harvest hemp to determine whether it's lawful hemp or whether it's unlawful marijuana and needs to be destroyed. And it has adopted what's become known as the total THC standard. And the law itself, the 2018 Farm Bill, defines hemp as cannabis sativa with no more than 0.3% Delta 9 um, THC um, on a dry weight basis. Uh, there are different forms of THC. One is the acid form, which is commonly known as THCA. Uh, and while, although it's not part of the statute, uh, what the USDA re- regulations are requiring is that for um, the, the Delta 9 THC concentrations to be measured, but also that the THCA or what they call potential Delta 9 THC concentrations to be measured. And not to get too bogged down in terminology, essentially what, what the USDA is saying is THCA under certain circumstances, primarily when it's heated, can be converted to Delta 9 THCA, I mean THC. And uh, the regulations want to account for that. They call it potential THC. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea being, um, I think, the, the rules didn't specifically reference that, but most people um, assume that the the USDA is concerned about smokable hemp. And so you can take a a, a hemp bud or hemp flower uh, with very low delta-9 THC concentrations, but with relatively high THC concentrations, smoke it and potentially catch a little buzz. Uh, And that's because when you heat THCA, a lot of it decarboxylates and converts to delta-9. So you're actually ingesting the delta-9. And so this is uh, very problematic for a number of reasons. Uh, One thing is that the USDA did not have to uh, prescribe this type of a a standard. Uh, The statute clearly did not require it. The second thing is that it's going to be difficult for the industry. There are a lot of hemp genetics out there, uh, but most of them cannot um, comply with this total THC standard. And so a lot of hemp genetics that have been developed over the years are potentially going to go away. And then what I hear from a lot of my clients that are growers are that in order to have high CBD concentrations, which is what, of course, a lot of hemp is being grown for right now, uh, you have to, you know, THCA concentrations are necessarily higher than than what would pass muster under a total THC standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a little bit of a nutshell. I'm gonna have to go into it a little more more detail, but it's a it's a fairly technical issue, but it's a very very important issue. Yeah. So what would you have done otherwise? Like, what would be a better option for? Because the, the the government wants to know that you're not that as is a CBD cultivator or maybe extractor, you're not putting out hot product or, or product right. that has a lot of THC. So what would be a better option? Yeah, to me, is just to measure the Delta-9 in the plant, you know, just to follow the statute. And, you know, what I, for the past almost year, have been hammering is that there is are two testing protocols that, that are, can be used, and the one that should be used is one called HPLC, which stands for High Performance Liquid Chromatography, in contrast to something that's known as, or, or a standard that's, uh, protocol that's called GC, which is Gas Chromatography. And the reason is this, High Performance Liquid Chromatography, uh, in a nutshell, 
test the actual constituent components of the plant. It doesn't modify the molecules in any way, and therefore I believe it's the most appropriate uh, technique. Uh, gas chromatography is widely used. In fact, most state crime labs uh, use gas chromatography, but the problem with it is it converts, it heats up a sample which decarboxylates. Uh, in other words, transforms the THCA molecule into delta-9. And so it actually converts a lawful compound into an unlawful compound. And that, that's not exactly right. Um, it, it, it just means that um, it actually creates the very molecule it's measuring is maybe right. a better way of saying that. And so I've always said the gas chromatography is inappropriate for use w with the hemp industry. Uh, to the USDA's credit, it actually said gas chromatography or HPLC can be used, but if if you use HPLC, you have to account for this potential THC by uh, adding in um, the THCA concentrations multiplied by 0.877, which has to do with the molecular weight of THCA and what is potentially converted to delta-9 when, when heated. Um, so that's a long way of saying I think that HPLC uh, should be the, the testing protocol, uh, but I do not think that we need to account for potential THC because the statute doesn't say we need to account for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and coincidentally enough, we have a, an HPLC machine at our lab, and so we test. Really? So we, we, we want to put out a quality product, so we test our products often. Uh, so we've helped out a few local folks folks with it. And so we're, we're looking into what that would take to become certified with the FDA. Um, but I mean, anything with the government takes a lot of time and money. Well, you know, I th I'm glad that you brought that up because the, the other big issue is this the thing where you requ you're required to have a, a DEA license now to, right. to do to analytical testing for, and, and the, the idea, it makes sense on its face. And the USDA says, well, since analytical labs will almost by definition, occasionally be handling what amounts to marijuana, in other mm -hmm. words, cannabis that exceeds 0.3% right. Delta 9 THC, well, then it must have a, a Schedule 1 DEA license to, to handle these products. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to make sense, but it has some problems. One is that getting the license can can be onerous. It can right. take time. Uh, frankly, based on its its history with cannabis, I don't see any reason why the DEA is going to you know, move right. along expeditiously. Yeah. It has every reason to drag its feet on, on these things. And, and plus, uh, you know, the USDA has provisions for, you know, destroying a non-compliant hemp crop. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see any, any reason why it couldn't have implemented similar provisions to a lab for, you know, how to deal with a, uh, with a hot and, you know, and destroy a hot um, test sample. I, getting the DEA involved was I don't understand that at all. It was yeah. not necessary. But to your point, if you're going to be testing, you'll you'll at least under the, the current version of the rule, you'll need to get a DEA uh, license. Right. And so you alluded to this before. So there are there are many labs in the country. I, I don't even know how many, but it seems like every day we hear about a new one. Right. Um, but even and we've t we've used a lot of different labs, even the ones that promise that. Uh, they'll turn it around in two days or whatnot. I mean, we just waited for one for a week and a half. Right. And, and they're one of the ones that we actually paid extra and were <laughs> promised that we would have a two-day delivery. So to, to funnel all this into a, a smaller number of labs um, registered and have to go through all this compliance, right. like it seems like that, that could put a, a halt to the industry. Oh, I think it, it could bring it to a grinding halt. Absolutely. You know, it's like taking a, a super highway and, you know, with, with eight lanes and, and Suddenly, you know, that's already packed and then right. and then dropping it down to one or two lanes, mm -hmm. you know, with, with more production, more cars coming on the road. You know, it's just yeah. I, I don't see how this is sustainable, really. Yeah, unfortunately. So we'll see what happens. Do you see a lot of folks uh, getting ready to uh, provide comments? 
uh, into the proposed re- regulations? I do. So that's a good, you know, the, the rule it has a 60-day comment period. Mm-hmm. The Not to get into to administrative uh, detail too much, but when, when agencies issue rules, they have certain procedures that they have to go by uh, and follow for the rules to be um, proper and approved and enforceable. Uh, the USDA sort of did a little bit of a reverse. Uh, it appears to be lawful, but where it actually released the rule prior to getting comments. And I think that had to do with this need and desire to get some regulations out there. And so the rule is out there and it's effective, but the USDA is taking comments through December 30th, 2019 on on the rule. And I encourage anyone who has any, any thoughts or, uh, about the rule to issue comments because they can be important. And to your question, Pretty much everyone that I've spoken with that, that has a meaningful part in the industry is planning on making comments. Mm-hmm. I know that that my law firm is planning on making comments. A lot of my clients are planning on making comments. A lot of the nonprofit groups that work in this industry are planning on making comments and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. And then uh, so smokable flour, that's something that's been really important for North Carolina specifically right. uh, yeah. over the past few months. So what uh, can you give us an update on where the state is with that, yeah, sure. um, what we should be looking towards? So uh, North Carolina has um, has a bill, SB 315, that's a, it's a farm bill, and it includes within it hemp provisions. And North Carolina needs new hemp provisions desperately. We have our, our original 2014 you know, pilot program provisions that are pretty scant, and the regulations are pretty scant, and they're always meant to be temporary. So it's kind of – it's time for North Carolina to have a new – new hemp provisions. And by and large, the hemp provisions in the new bill are pretty good. The problem is, is that they carve out an exception for what's called smokable hemp and make it uh, illegal to possess or to um, sell without a license. Uh, and it actually can be a crime to, to do so. And we contend that that's unlawful. The, because of this provision, the bill has been the subject of a lot of controversy and a lot of people are pushing back against it. Uh, it's actually gone back and forth between two prominent members of the of the House and the Senate, and they're having a little bit of a war over it as well. Uh, as the bill looks right now, as we sit here on November 7th, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there is a bill that says that smokable hemp will be illegal as of June of 2020. Crucially, though, the bill has not been voted into law. There are some other provisions totally unrelated to hemp uh, that the the House members are are battling over, and so they haven't been able to get it voted uh, into law. If they do, and there's a possibility they could do it this fall, maybe next winter, uh, then we are hoping that Governor Cooper will veto it. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's pretty clear that these provisions are preempted by federal law and are unlawful. Um, let's see. So talked about a lot of uh, potential issues, uh, USDA regulations, um, smokable flour. Um, so what for entrepreneurs and, and business owners in, in the hemp and in the cannabis space right now, what should we be preparing for? to have a, a likelier chance of succeeding, right? I think there there's some sort of fly-by-night entrepreneurs, they yeah. want to just kind of make a buck, uh, but the people that want to be in in it for the long term, yeah. that want to succeed and help people and make a business, mm-hmm. what are the kinds of things that we should be looking for in the next maybe six, 12 months uh, and, and the things that we should be planning for today? Right. Well, that's a great question. And and we see, we do a lot of uh, help with people who are, who are trying to establish good fundamental businesses that, that they can exit successfully down the 
road or in, and or that will will generate a profit and do well in the market. And I see a couple different things. One is that it's just crucial to stay a, abreast with regulations and changing laws. And again, I say that not because I'm a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we focus on, but that's just where the industry is right now. There will be a time and place uh, probably years from now where things are pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the auto industry, you have the bicycle industry, you have the corn industry. You can name any number of industries. And while there are there is an evolution and things change over time. It's usually at a at a pace that, that you can keep up with pretty easily. Right. In any new industry, and you can think back to the tech industry and the, its, its emergence and the emergence of the cannabis industry, um, there's things just happen so fast that you you will not be successful unless you can keep up with the regulations. Mm-hmm. So that that's a key piece. Uh, another th- piece, and this sounds maybe trite, but I think you have to distinguish yourself. It used to be when I first started representing clients in the space that anyone who was who was slinging CBD was probably going to do pretty well yep. you know uh, but nowadays that's not the case and and whether you distinguish yourself by um, the quality of your product and or your your snappy branding or by some unique and innovative process or whatever it may be uh, that needs to be the focus just mm-hmm. saying hey I think I'm going to just enter the fray and, mm-hmm. and 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 sell hemp products is probably not we're not quite good enough yeah. um, these days. Probably even just a couple of years ago, if you just said, hey, I have CBD, you would have had oh my gosh. of people right, <laughs> yes. coming towards you. But today, that's very different. That's very different. And, and you know, and, and I don't mean to even focus on just the retail side of things. I'm talking, you know, whether it be the, sure. the extraction Any or processing or manufacturing, you know, all, you know, you really have to show some value um, mm. when, 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 in order to succeed. And then I guess the, the other piece I would say is, and this kind of goes back to your earlier question uh, about, you know, transactions and how to make them more, um, you know, go, go better, um, is that you really need to have a proper business format. And that, that means, you know, incorporating it or organizing it properly, putting in officers and directors and employees who are, who are skilled at what they do and, and who are getting educated, um, taking care of the finances and the taxes and all these mundane things. You know, everyone wants to think about the next cool thing in right. hemp and, and CBD and cannabis, and that's all great, but you you got to take care of the standard business stuff. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I see a lot of clients that, that they're moving so quickly that they just say, oh, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And that, that can come back to bite you. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I try to remind myself <clears throat> and, and my coworkers that while we're in a really interesting and, and just, you know, really exciting industry, we should, in a way, try to make it for ourselves boring in the sense <laughs> that, you know, it, right? it's like we're, we're just doing things, you know, just daily and, just, you know, things are working and we right. have systems. Um, but it's hard. You know, the pull is there. And it's like, oh, look at this new product and this new person. And, you know, look at these guys and what they're doing. Right. So that pull to just go, go, go and faster and just forego, you know, agreements and contracts and just sort of like the like you're saying, the, the sort of foundational business practices right. it's hard to adhere to those it is sometimes because you want to you want to deal with the with the the new cool stuff that's going right. on you yeah. know which is good and you should deal with that but you know that it's it's good to have you know in an organization you know people who are who have their different roles you mm. know maybe you do have the the chief innovative officer but not everyone can be the chief innovative right. officer you yeah. know you need the chief financial officer and the and the operations person who who deal with these fundamental things mm-hmm. um have you seen you have a really good perspective on this industry do you see any companies that have really stood out to you that you're like, oh, like they're doing something really interesting. Oh, yeah, but I'm not going to say any just because okay. I I, you know, I don't want to upset anybody or, sure. or, or, or play favorites. But yeah, I, th- I think there are a lot of, of, of really 
innovative companies. So maybe I can think of some things that, that I think that they're, that they're doing. I've got a lot of companies that do well with branding, but yeah, that's a tough space to be in. Mm-hmm. I mean, branding's been around for a hundred plus years. And so to distinguish yourself in branding is, is really tough. Uh, what I think that I like, um, and, and think is important is sort of the, the, the behind the scenes structures and systems that people are able to put into place to mm-hmm. streamline things, to drive costs down, uh, to help bolster the supply chain. And maybe that's something that I'll, I'll spend a 30 seconds on is the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of clients that are beginning to um, enter the, the world at large, whether it be, you know, markets that encompass much of the United States or even international markets. And they're dealing with with multinational publicly traded companies that want to to work with them in some capacity. And it's always exciting. Uh, but again, to get to the fundamentals and the mundane, you know, you have to bolster your your supply, and whether that means your supply of actual hemp, or you know that, that's in the that's in the field, and, and getting your farms and farmers together, or whether that means your supply of cannabinoids and, and how they're produced, or whether it's just you know how much of a product you can you can reasonably in, uh, manufacture um, if the sales go like this, all of those things need to need to be put in place, and I think it's really important to focus on those. Mm. Uh, to to switch gears and, and again here. You uh, wrote an article. I'm not sure if this was a recent one, but uh, you were talking about uh, being an attorney, being an advocate. And I thought that was a really interesting sort of, I don't know, maybe dichotomy, depending on which perspective you're looking at it from. Um, So because you can say, well, if you're an advocate, well, maybe you're you have a bias towards like progressing the industry, but maybe not towards your client, possibly, but or or the opposite. So and you came to a really interesting conclusion. So uh, can you talk about that? Because I thought that was really cool perspective. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. So the, the issue is, can, you know, can or should an attorney uh, be, you know, in, in this industry, be a cannabis activist or advocate, you mm. know, and, and the reason that came up for me is that several years ago, uh, I, word got back to me that, that, that some lawyer that some sort of, um, big law firm had, had told its client, well, you shouldn't deal with Kai cause he's an, he's an advocate. Mm. Um, and, and I, I struggled with that and I thought, oh man, maybe, maybe I really need to be just sort of kind of more, more cut and dried. But I thought that that's not, that's not what, what brought me to this place. And the more that I got involved in the industry, uh, the more I realized, I think it's it's not only important, but perhaps even necessary to be an advocate. And what I mean by that is an advocate for the industry at large, mm-hmm. because we're at a place in the industry where, as we discussed earlier, things are emerging and evolving so rapidly that a lot of times there are issues that, that are presented um, in our firm weekly, if not daily, uh, that where there's not a, a, a clear black and white answer. You know, client wants to do X. Can Can client do X? And we look at regulations, we look at cases, and sometimes um, there's nothing that says the client can or can't. Um, or a, a regulation or something that's there is so vague as could be interpreted in different ways. And so as an advocate, I try to think, okay, certainly what's best for my client, you know, whether, you know, be forging ahead or maybe avoiding some disaster, but also what's best for the for the industry. Because of, of the place we are right now, um, we can we can advise clients to adopt uh, methods and strategies and protocols that um, that become the standard practice in the industry, and often regulations will follow that. You know, sometimes standard practices um, are the result of regulations, but sometimes regulations are the result of standard practices. 
So in any event, to circle back around to the advocacy piece, I think it's important to understand the industry and to be passionate about it so that you can um, be forward thinking in terms of what's good for your client and what's good for the industry at large. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and then, so I think that's a good place to sort of start to taper off. Um, is there anything that you would like to leave listeners with or, or if somebody's watching, um, whether a particular ask um, or just thought or, or maybe insight, but whatever you want to leave people with? Yeah, well, um, actually, just to sort of follow up on my last comment, I think that this industry, it's it's an exciting industry and things move quickly, but it's important to have um, a real understanding of what we're talking about. And by that, I mean the plant itself and the different its different components. And whether it be fiber, which is an, a really rapidly emerging industry in of itself, or cannabinoids or, or some combination of, of things, uh, a lot of times lawyers and accountants and business folks get excited by the, the profitability that they see in this product. Uh, but without a good understanding of how the plant is grown, how extraction processes work, um, how our body processes these things and or how, you know, how fibers can be used specifically in certain um, industrial applications, it's, it, you know, I think you can you can get left behind pretty quickly. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, study the biology and, and the botany and the and the chemistry and the and the engineering components as well, even if it's just to have a, a sort of a general understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I some days I feel like just drinking out of a fire hose because <laughs> there's just so much information. And really, I know that feeling really yeah. interesting and just amazing things. Um, but that, you know so you just try to take it one day at a time and just learn a little bit here and there and just you know keep talking to smart folks like yourself and just trying to to understand have the best understanding seeing that you can about the business that you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's important. And if I could say maybe one more thing that just came to mind that a lot of times I'll have clients that come in and they're really smart and they've got um, access to resources and they're, and they're motivated and they present and they say, well, and they'll list 10 or 15 different opportunities. And they're like, we're doing this and we're doing this. And I can hardly even keep up writing down just the bullet points of what they're <laughs> wanting to do. And, and what I've found a lot of times is that can be paralyzing. Right. You know, this industry is like drinking from a fire hose. There's mm -hmm. so much water coming at you, you know, yeah. and, 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 but you can't drink from a fire hose. You have to drink from a cup or at least, <laughs> at least a slow running faucet, <laughs> right. you know? And so it's important to find out what you're interested in and what your, um, you know, your, what you're really good at and can succeed and, 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 and move that forward. There's, there's going to be an opportunity to, to expand that, but you've got to go forward on one or two things. You, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't eat a buffet in, in one bite. Right. Yeah. So what, what I hear there is to, to focus. Yeah. Like focus. What, what you, sure. What, what can you uh, do well, or what can you be passionate about or, you know, instead of trying to do everything? Right. Uh, to, I, I think part of that you know, for me, sometimes I hear about these giant companies, you know, especially some of the cannabis companies from Canada or some of the West Coast companies, and they're doing the whole thing. And sometimes right. you think like, oh, man, like maybe we should be doing, they're trying to do that. Right. We, we can't, you know, we're a small company, but yeah. uh, it's almost like that glorification of look at these giants, you know. It is true. Right. right. But, you know, as a, as a small company, just, you know, I guess that's part of the story of America, right? You start in your garage and you build up from there, but you have to focus. That's exactly right. Yeah. Apple was started in, in a garage, right. literally, right? Yeah. So, right. Nice. So, um, thank you. How can people get a hold of you or where would you like to direct people to? Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking. Uh, so, uh, we have a website, uh, cannabusiness.law or kitelaw.com. That's K-I-G-H-T-L-A-W.com. My last name is spelled like night, but with a K instead of an N. And both of those will direct you to my website. I also encourage people to, to read and, and sign up for my blog. Um, and, and the reason is I, we, we, 
I say we because we have I have guest contributors and, and also my associates write, but I, I try to write, you know, most of the articles. We try to not just present information. You know, we don't typically, you know, oh, here's a here's an article that was just posted in some media. You should read it. We try to take an issue that's important and and break it down and analyze it and, and do that as a public service to help the industry and to help our clients. So um, I encourage people to sign up for the blog. Yeah. So I know I've, uh, for folks that are listening, I uh, subscribed, uh, I don't know, a few weeks or months ago, and I've mm-hmm. certainly gotten a lot of value out of it. So Good. I would Glad encourage a lot that. of folks uh, to definitely subscribe. And I think you're usually post on uh, maybe LinkedIn and uh, I don't know, in your blog newsletter right. as well. Yeah. So I think you can be found in a lot of, a lot of different places. LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, Twitter, and Instagram, all the yeah. <laughs> all, all the, the contemporary places yeah. to be, right? You're not on TikTok yet? Oh, I'm not, no. Oh, man. Not on those. All my kids are on Snapchat. <laughs> I need to get on it, right? <laughs> awesome. Uh, Rod, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, and then uh, we'll uh, put a couple of the links in the, uh, the comments uh, of the podcast, right. and I uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.